Hey everybody, my name is Dave Jackson and this is Tales from the Backlog, a video games podcast where I bring in guests to talk about the games that I've played recently. My guest today is a friend of the show and Griffin riding enthusiast, Adam Rivera. Hey Adam. Hello, how are you? <laughs> Doing good, man. It's good to have you. Thanks, good to be here. And today we'll be talking about Dragon's Dogma which is an action RPG developed and published by Capcom in 2012 with an enhanced version subtitled Dark Arisen released in 2013. And I'm very excited to talk about Dragon's Dogma. I feel like a lot of games podcasts I listen to really don't talk about it a lot. And this game is fucking wild. And there's a lot of weird stuff to talk about. So I'm excited to talk about it. Thank you for suggesting it. As strange as this game is, like, you don't hear it talked about a lot, which is really weird to me. Yeah, and, like, I I feel like it kind of fell through the cracks a little bit. Like, it was released, and then, like, people talked about it for a bit, and then it was gone. And then it's had, like, a kind of resurgence now that it's, like, it's on the Switch and stuff like that. And so I'm I'm excited to get into it. Yeah, me too. Like, a lot of the... Oh, sorry. A lot of the talk when I... um, remember it launching was like it was being compared to dark souls a lot because i think they were within like a couple months of each other so like once people figured out oh it's not dark souls like it kind of just fell by the wayside but yeah like the re-release it's coming back in a big bad way which is pretty awesome yeah it's pretty sweet and we can talk about that dark souls comparison uh, a little later on i want to hear your thoughts about whether that's an apt comparison or not but uh, before we get into Dragon's Dogma, uh, other than that, uh, just start with a little like uh, little chat about what other games we've been playing recently. So what have you been on re- uh, lately? Uh, this is actually one of the rare times where I'm kind of current with what I'm playing. Uh, right now, I just finished playing through Metroid Dread, which launched a couple weeks ago, and now I'm working my way through with uh, Far Cry 6, which launched like the day after. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Cool. And so, like, the, the, we're recording this in uh, late October. It's going to come out a little bit later than that. And you're, like, the third or fourth person I've had on the podcast in the last couple weeks, including myself, who's been playing Dread. So what do you think about it? Uh, I like it a lot. Um, the best thing that I can say about it is it feels so good just to move around, which in Metroid is so important because that's basically all you do is just run around room to room jump uh in this one you got a slide which works incredibly well uh there's uh cliff hanging back from fusion like a lot of the movement stuff they learned from fusion and zero mission got incorporated along with this weird semi story driven but still very open kind of exploration um, it's more like in Fusion, you had a computer telling you where to go. In this one, they use the computer to say, hey, you're going the right way. Because like, you really don't know if you're making progress in the right direction until you run into one of those consoles. And then you're like, oh, yeah, OK, this is where I'm supposed to go. This is new. Yeah, that's a good point. Good point. Like, I know a lot of people were worried about the kind of story driven uh, nature of fusion and dread being a successor to that and like i finished playing dread too and i i think that's kind of overblown um i think 
Like, if you want a Metroid game to have zero story, then you're going to be disappointed in this, because there is. But that's a good point you made. It's not, the computer's not saying like, hey, hey, here's your map marker, go here, and you can't go anywhere else, just go to this map marker. And you're, you're totally right. You don't know if you're going the right way until you hit that, like, navigation room or whatever they call it, and the computer pops up. You're like, oh, shit, this is the right room. Go me. Yeah, because, like, they all double as save points now, so it's like you're doubly glad to run into one because it's like, okay, I know I'm going the right way, and now I have a checkpoint. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And um, how's how's Far Cry? I've been out of the Far Cry series since... Uh, since three, I think I burned out sometime playing three and just decided I'm never playing Far Cry again. But, but how's the new one treating you? Uh, it's pretty fun. Like, um, I'm kind of scared of just burning myself out because I insist on exploring and like doing all the weird side stuff that's in it. Uh, like yesterday, I spent probably a good two hours just looking for USB sticks that have songs on them. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh that's that's some pretty compulsive Ubisoft gamer behavior right there. Oh yeah, I'm a big sucker for like Ubisoft stuff. Like I think Assassin's Creed Odyssey is amazing and I know it gets tons of flack for like an overcrowded map. Yeah, I played Odyssey and I'm I'm like you. I have a hard time not doing stuff and I made a like I made a kind of promise to myself when I was playing like I'm going to do the bespoke side quests that they have cuz they have like the you know, the gold side quest or whatever. And you know what I'm talking about. And then they have the um, the side quests that seem like they're like procedurally generated. And I just decided I'm not doing those ever. And I still burnt out on that game because there was so much to do. I, I had a lot of fun until I was just like, I can't do this anymore. Yeah, I get that. That's a huge, huge game. Like, I think I ended up breaking it up into like three different parts of like, I played it for like a couple weeks solid, left for like a month or two, came back, finished it, didn't play it for like a year and then came back into the DLC. But like, I remember liking it a whole lot just because like that world is so huge and you can get lost in it so easy. Yeah. Yeah. And I enjoyed my time and I'm not like, you know, I'm kind. Of, I'm actually kind of interested in the uh, Immortals game that they came out with because that seems like a much more focused version of like the Ubisoft open world, which is kind of like uh, it's kind of like a dirty phrase now, the Ubisoft open world. But those games are fun, um, and you know these are video games after all. Above above everything else, they should be fun, and they usually are. So I'm kind of excited about trying that game out sometime. I've played a little bit of it i didn't get super far into it i think like i just got to the point when the world actually like opens up to you and for the life of me i can't remember why i stopped playing probably got distracted by something else but i keep needing to go back to it okay well um perhaps in the future we'll uh we'll both get into it a little bit more and we'll be able to chat about that but for now uh let's move into talking about dragon's dogma which is I want to put a spoiler warning now. Um, We're going to talk no spoilers for a while. uh, Talk about the gameplay and a little bit about the story and stuff like that. But Dragon's Dogma does have a story that is spoilable. And I think that uh, the things that happen that are spoilable are 
fucking wild and you should experience those uh, for yourself so we're going to put a spoiler wall after the gameplay and mechanics um, spoiler free section keep your ears out for that if you haven't played Dragon's Dogma and you don't want to be spoiled so uh, the first thing up is always talking about our histories with the game and like what kind of interested us in playing Dragon's Dogma so a guest always goes first so Adam I'm going to kick to you what brought you to Dragon's Dogma um, I actually saw this game when it, like, premiered, I guess, at E3. I think it was 2011 or 2012. I was there at E3. I was writing for a site as an intern at the time. Uh, I waited in line and tried it out. It was, like, just this weird action RPG with a flying griffin. Because I think the demo, it was, like, one of three scenarios. It was either, like, the very first opening bit where you're playing with a pre-made character... Uh, the first griffin fight, and I forget what the third thing was, but I tried the griffin fight, and I remember it being really frustrating because I didn't know you could do the big thing, which is part of this combat, which is climb on monsters, which we'll get to later. Mm -hmm. Yeah, why would you? Yeah, so I just remember standing there for a long time just trying to shoot this thing, and like I remember it (laughs) being really interesting, and like the look was interesting, dark fantasies you know always compelling anyway um i saw it kind of forgot about it but kind of kept my ear to the ground on like hey if i want an rpg this might fill that gap saw come out on 360 didn't pick it up for whatever reason probably just because broke college student at the time a few years later it released with the dlc package in which is the darker risen version on the 360 Bought it then, fell in love with it, played it a ton. Unfortunately, the game did not love me back because over the course of time <laughs> since I've played it, I've lost two save files to this game. Um, mm. If you want it, I could go into those stories because they're kind of bonkers. Okay. Uh, y- yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, the first one was I beat the game. And, you know, it was awesome. And it has a New Game Plus, like, built into it. So I Mm -hmm. started New Game Plus, but for somehow didn't... Like, I guess I just misread a a menu prompt because it cycled to New Game Plus but kept it on easy mode. And so for whatever reason, I got super bored with it. And... I don't know if I deleted it or if I restarted or what, but the next time I booted up a game after that, I was back at the beginning, fresh character, and I was like, what the hell happened? Mm. So all my progress <laughs> and everything was gone, so I never played it again after that. Then the oh, new okay. <laughs> re-release came out, which was for the Xbox One, and I was like, yeah, man, let's do it again. Like I'm starting on a new platform anyway. I'm going to not have anything to show for it, so I'll just do a new game anyway. I beat it again there, and as soon as I started, like, the last... Or I didn't beat it that time. I got to, like, the end game section when, like, the final dungeon opens up. And mm-hmm. I one day I booted it up, I pressed play, and I, I'm watching the opening cutscene. I'm like, what the hell? Somehow, <laughs> some way, my game didn't load up. Like, my save file didn't load up. And 
the way the Weird. system is built in the game, you only have one save file. And there's right. only uh, you can manual save it and it auto saves, but they're both overriding the same progress. So mm-hmm. that computer error cost me my file because it automatically overwrote everything. Damn. And like I tried <laughs> up a uh, downloading cloud saves. I tried all kinds of stuff, and like it was just gone. Ooh, yeah, sacrifice to the dragon. <laughs> yeah, it's gone now. Uh, so far, so good though. My latest attempt, all good in the hood. Right on. And so, like through all those times, uh, how many hours do you think you've put into the game? Oh, oh dude, uh, over a hundred. More than likely, over two hundred. It. Like, I've played the crap out of this game. Hell yeah. Uh, I'm glad to have a Dragon's Dogma expert on the show then. Um, So, uh, for me, um, I remembered when, like, the press, uh, like, the advertising um, was coming out, like, before this game was coming out. And it was like, this game looks like Skyrim, but you can climb on all the monsters and attack them. This looks super badass. But for whatever reason, like when it came out kind of same as you, I just didn't buy it right when it came out. And then, uh, the conversation around it kind of stopped and like the conversation around Skyrim or like Skyrim was coming out or had come out recently. I don't remember. I can't remember the years like that, but, um, like I just kind of forgot and people stopped talking about the game. And then like back in like 20, like 19 or something, I was like looking through like best switch games to play. Cause I had just gotten a switch and people were like, dragon's dogma is actually good. And so I was like, okay, cool. I'll throw it on my wish list and wait for a sale. And cause it's a, it's a Capcom game. They go on sale all the time. And so I picked it up and I was like, okay, it's, it's action RPG time. It's time for dragon's dogma. So, uh, I picked it up. I played it on switch. Um, kind of late last year and uh, I put around 30-35 hours into it in my playthrough and I did not do a lot of the uh, optional stuff which we'll get into later so I had a I had a pretty good uh, good play time with that that's interesting you had well I'm glad you had a good time first off but I do hear like the switch is actually like the worst platform to play it on that's not surprising to me the switch is Often, if you have the choice between like, hey, you can play this on Xbox or PS4, or PS4, PS5, or play it on PC or play it on Switch. Switch is often the worst, like, performance-wise. But uh, I played this game. Uh, I remember playing a ton of it, just like an hour before bed every night, just like laying in bed playing on the Switch, which is my preferred way to play games if it's at all possible. So I, d- I didn't mind any performance or small screen or anything like that. It was all gravy. Okay. Yeah. The big issues were performance and then like linking to the server, which it does like every time you rest it and in was like taking a while, unless you played mm-hmm. offline, in which case it wouldn't have mattered. No, I played online cause I had, uh, I had my pawns going out doing their stuff and I had other players pawns coming in. So I was connected. I didn't seem to have any issues, but I, you know, I pl- like I said, I played it last year. It had been on Switch for a while, I think. So maybe they patched some stuff up. Oh, uh, yeah, maybe. So let's get into kind of like the basics of Dragon's Dogma. Like, what makes this game stand out from 
all the other, you know, RPGs where you're playing a knight type character and swinging a sword or being a wizard and stuff like that. So like st- what really makes this game stand out? And we talked about the combat a little bit. We'll talk about that in detail later, but I want to first talk about the atmosphere of this game. How would you describe the kind of atmosphere and setting of this game? Um, atmosphere wise, it's well, uh, like I mentioned earlier, it's a dark fantasy. It's a Western fantasy, you know, knights, castles, dragons, but it's also kind of, I want to say bleak, but I don't feel like that's the right word. Like everything's kind of downtrodden. The whole game you're talking, they're talking about like the end of the world's upon us because this dragon's here. You only really see two places that are actual civilization. The rest is kind of ruins and like just out in the wild. Yeah, it's a weird, like even the places where like, I guess like this world's like upper class and stuff would live. They're not like these magnificent palaces that you might see in other fantasy settings and stuff. It's, it's all pretty like, and this might be also due to like the Xbox 360 era graphics and stuff like that, but it's all pretty like shitty, you know, like old ass, like stone castles and like everyone in the town is there's even like what's supposed to be, I guess like the nice areas they don't look that great, so that's a good. Uh, that is a good description of the setting, I think. Yeah, it's something that just occurred to me, like when you brought up the classification. Yeah, like the main thing about the rich area, quote unquote, is they have a whole house. <laughs> like yeah. the poor <laughs> yeah. area is literally just two. Like there's one that's just literally two walls, and that's the, where this dude lives. And then like the yeah. middle class area <laughs> is an apartment building. Like there's at least like three or four like you could tell like three or four like living spaces inside one building. So the rich area just get a space to themselves. And that's like the big difference. Yeah. And like the, the, the castle where like the Duke is living and stuff. It's, I mean, it's a castle, but it doesn't look that nice. It looks like an old ass kind of, you know, rundown castle a little bit. So that's a good, a uh, good point about the setting. Uh, one other thing I want to kind of bring up about this setting is like, that, like you said, this is like a Western fantasy story with castles and you're fighting goblins and wizards and stuff like that and, you know, ogres. Um, this all is, these are all things that we've seen before in a lot of fantasy stories, but uh, there's like, in the way I see it, there's like this uncanny nature to everything. Like, I think it, and I think it stems from the fact that this is a Japanese uh, take on Western fantasy. Um, not that dissimilar from like how Dark Souls feels weird because you always feel like the translation is like 20% strange or the characters are like they're not exactly that version of that character you're used to in all these other stories Um, there's just this uncanny like thing about the way people talk and stuff like that that it, it really adds to the atmosphere and I'm not sure if it was intentional or not Oh, yeah, when it comes to dialogue, they use, like, this weird mix of, like, I don't know if it's actual, like, ancient English or if they just made it up. But a lot of people (laughs) saying ought, but not, like, I ought to do this. Like, like, A-U-G-H-T as in, like, to stand in for, quote-unquote, something. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> there's uh, there's a, a scene later uh, in the game where they have like this this like quote that I don't know if it's supposed to be stupid or if it's supposed to be profound. Um, there's this quote, and I I put it in the spoiler section, but I, I say it now because it's not a spoiler for anything because I don't know what the fuck it's talking about. Um, the quote is, him who knows that I know what he seeks to know knows it well, while he who knows not knows not what I know or know not. What? Yeah, exactly. It's like, uh, it reminds me of like that that scene in the in the ladies man when he goes on this like he goes on his radio monologue and people he goes he starts like putting words in weird places and and no one knows what the hell he's talking about it's exactly the same feeling i had here so like that that that's a that's like the strongest example but it's a prime example of like just this weird dialogue and weird feeling in this game yeah yeah like everything's just slightly skewed left and it's weird yeah, and I think it works. It, it you notice that it's weird, but like, I don't know. It, it's kind of cool. I like it. The next thing that kind of makes Dragon's Dogma stand out uh, before we talk about the combat, the thing that I have not seen in any other game that Dragon's Dogma has is the pawn system, which we we briefly talked about earlier. At any given time in Dragon's Dogma, uh, you have three. AI controlled uh, party members with you and they're called pawns you create your own at the beginning of the game and that's your main pawn and you can summon in two other pawns from other Dragon's Dogma players and they're like stored in this database and there's a story reason for why they're there and why they're available to be summoned and all that but what it does for like the gameplay is it lets you fill out your party composition so if you're playing as a warrior you can grab a wizard and an archer pawn and kind of round out your team. And then your fourth one can be just, you know, whoever you find, uh, whoever you want to put in there. And like, well, first of all, I'll, I'll ask you, like, do you like, you've played this game a lot more than I have. How do you feel about the pawn system after so many hours? It is definitely a unique system. Like this isn't something I have seen either. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of games have like user created content, but this one is like, you don't like your entire party for the entire game is dependent on other players, which is so weird. Mm -hmm. And having played this a lot, unfortunately certain parts of it kind of just bleed together. Like I'm not looking at names or really looking at, how they look uh the things when i'm recruiting characters is like what skills do they have because i'm looking for things that i know work for me so i'm like okay what pawn has this skill what pawn has you know do they have balanced elemental attacks because there's elemental weaknesses excuse me like my main pawn that i usually have with me is the base level wizard and a thing you didn't really mention, but but you can tweak their AI in like these weird little interviews you can do at the end. I don't know if you ever saw this. Like uh-huh. there's a there's a special chair you can sit in that when you do, your pawn will sit across <laughs> from you at I the did, table. Yeah. And like you give a quick little like um 
like performance review like an employer and they're like i'm doing this do you like it <laughs> when i when you call to me how do you like me to respond and it's and you you so, can use this you can use this to uh to set like what they're doing in battle and stuff like that right yeah it's not as clear cut as like uh like a menu interaction it's like i read i read through the wiki on this a while ago and it's basically each pawn falls into like one of us type of behavior and that behavior determines how what they're more likely to do in battle so like there's ones that are like more likely to just grab onto enemies and hold them so that way you can come and hit them or like in the middle of battle they'll just be running around and looting stuff not fighting Mm -hmm. and yeah so the the system is very cool because it's a cool way like when the darker is inversion launched like a bunch of my friends played it which was a different experience because, like I said, I came to it late originally. Mm-hmm. So for a long time, my party was just like pawns from my buddies. That's awesome. Yeah. And like um, in order to recruit pawns, like you do have to pay like this weird fee that's called like it's a crystal cost, mm-hmm. which the higher yeah. level they are from you, because you can like there's a whole robust like searching system. You can search by level, by name, by just uh, class type. So if you search for ones that are higher level than you, those accrue like a crystal cost because you're basically like, you know, jumping the power curve. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you recruit at your level, there's no cost. But of course, like if your character's leveling up, they don't. So you'll like outgrow them. So you'll want to like re- be replacing them as you go on. But your buddies, like, no matter what level they are, they're always free. So if you have a friend like me who's, like, level 150, like, you could bring, excuse me, you could bring my pawn in, have a level 150 wizard with you when you're just starting out the game. Oh, hell yeah. (laughs) Yeah, like, that's just a leg up in a big bad way. Yeah, and, like, I was going to mention also, like, and when you send out your pawns, um, I've actually gotten friend requests from people uh, on the Switch. Um, and I, I actually didn't know that friends are free because I didn't have any friends that played this. So that might be why they sent me friend requests uh, so that they could like rent my pawn for free. I don't know. But you get you get some kind of notification when your pawn has been like rented out, right? Yeah, uh, it's usually after they get dismissed, I believe, from the other player. Mm-hmm. And then, like, you'll get a message next time you rest it in saying, like, your pawn has returned. Yeah, and you'll get, you when you dismiss a pawn, you give them a, a rating, right? Yeah, uh, you can give them a rating. You can give them, like, a quick little, like, predetermined message. And you can give them an item, which this is one of the more interesting things if you look through like the Reddit on the game and stuff. People are using this system to trade items. Because uh interesting, because like we'll get into it later, but items and equipment is super important in this game. Yeah, like and then like I said, the like the whole search feature and everything, you can search by a person's like gamer tag. So like people are setting up trades of like, oh, recruit my pawn give them this item i'll recruit your pawn i'll give them this item and like you just did a trade (laughs) nice nice i was gonna say with like that rating system 
there were a couple of times when my main pawn uh, came back with like a, a message from someone who used them. And it's, I, I don't have any children. I may never have children. And, but this, so this may be the closest, like very proud dad feeling I'll ever have. But I was like, oh shit, like, good job, buddy. You helped that player out. That's awesome. Come here, give me a hug. I'm so proud of you. It was, it was really cool. Yeah. A uh, funny thing for me, though, is it's similar but different is that I actually modeled my, uh, my main pawn after my wife. Okay. So <laughs> when I get comments back, like, they're saying, like, oh, she wasn't very helpful. I'm like, don't say that about her. Hey, hey, hey. She's a wonderful lady. Yeah, she did her best. And if you got shit to say, you can talk to me. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's cool. So the other thing that like the pawn system like brings to it is if your pawn is off in other games, uh it will use the like experience that it's gotten like the in scenarios, not like experience points. Like in scenarios and it will like give advice to that other player and you'll get that from uh player pawns that you bring into your game too so just a real quick question adam are you aware that wolves hunt in packs did you have you ever heard this before i am but i've also heard that even in numbers a weakling is a weakling still (laughs) like over under 500 times that you've heard uh that wolves hunt in packs Oh, um, probably over. I would, the safe bet would probably be over. Like, I know after a while, I just turned off the pawn speech because it wasn't helpful. It just was repeating. This is something that I think, um, could be improved in a, like, Dragon's Dogma 2 if they ever get the chance. Um, because I think AI is much more sophisticated now than it was back in 2013 or whenever the last time they made tweaks to the game was. And this system has a lot of potential for like giving you tips on how to beat bosses and like uh, giving you tips on like parts of the map that you're in or something like that. And it's that part of it is pretty half-baked in Dragon's Dogma, I think. But overall, the pawn system is a lot of fun and I, I like it. I don't, I, want, I don't want to say I like it more than just recruiting like you know, NPC party members like you do in other RPGs, but it's definitely a cool idea. And if they ever get to make Dragon's Dogma 2, I would be really excited to see uh, what they're able to do with the pawn system. Oh, yeah. And just to make it clear, like how you mentioned like, oh, like boss strategies and map like notes, like that stuff is there, which is weird. Mm -hmm. Like if you're running through like a area that your character hasn't been in but your pawn has they'll say like oh like this place is dangerous or stay away from here at night like just weird like kind of cliff notes of the area Mm -hmm. and same thing with uh enemies and quests like if they learn an enemy weakness while away at another player they'll apply it in your game like oh this thing's weak to fire so i'll use fire spells or like yeah. if they're a warrior type with no elemental thing, they'll just yell it out that this thing's weak to fire. Pay attention. Yeah. And then Yeah, and that's that's cool. Yeah, and then the same thing with quests, like if you're doing a quest, like some of them aren't super clear about where you're supposed to go and some are just they'll just give you a map marker, but if the pawn knows something about the quest, they'll have like a little question mark over their head and you can talk to them and they'll tell you like exactly what to do. 
that's super cool. I don't know that I really dug into that uh, much, but good to know that that is there. Yeah, I'm not sure if it was just because, like you said, you're you were kind of playing like at lower levels, so you might not have seen the more experienced pawns. But like once you get up into like the higher end game level pawns, like yeah, and if you do a new game plus, like they know everything. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, I um, I, I didn't um, I didn't remember the like the cost of hiring super high level pawns. It's like it's like astronomical to hire like an overpowered pawn. Uh, it basically, I, I'm not sure how you would like get around it unless you circumvent it with that, like being friends with somebody's system. Other than that, like I, I remember like, Hey, let me check out how much it costs to get like a, you know, level 90 pawn or something like that. And I was like, Oh, okay. That's never happening. So moving on uh, back to my level, we'll check that one. Yeah, and like just like it is just to throw this out there, it's a it can be a hard game, but like you don't need to worry about getting an over level pawn like that. Like they you have the tools to like survive if you stay out of the more dangerous areas and kind of stay in the more level appropriate areas, which we can get onto this later. Yeah, yeah. Like I I I definitely beat the game without a whole lot of difficulty. Like I beat the main story, so it, it's not like I needed to grind up points or send friend requests to strangers in order to get good pawns to have a good time in the game. That's de- You're right, that's definitely not the case. Yeah. Let's get into the uh, combat. That is the other thing that really makes Dragon's Dogma stand out, is the combat. So Dragon's Dogma has a basic like light attack, heavy attack, uh, like ability system and your abilities use stamina. So it kind of, you get into this flow of like use an ability, attack for a while or dodge or whatever you have to do while your stamina refills and you can use another ability. Uh, The abilities and like the, I guess if you're using a wizard, your spells, I didn't use a wizard. That is like the name of the game is figuring out what the good abilities are. Um, am I correct in that? Yeah. Uh, if you go online, like everyone has a list of like three or four abilities for every class. That's like, these are the ones you want. Um, so it's all based on like that stamina system. Like you said, uh, mages, it's all from the same pool. Uh, so a lot of the high-level strategies online are like, oh, fine, stamina regenerating, or there's a certain item that's like stamina is infinite for like 20 seconds or something like that. People say to load up on that and just like unleash the abilities on the bosses because once you get into the higher-level ones, like they're, like, it's 
really easy to break this game once you see the strings, which a lot of these people online do. Yeah, and it's it's a lot of fun. Even if I am not a like a game breaker person, I, I don't have that gene where I like strive to you know figure out like the gears behind the scenes and break it. I have none of that, mm-hmm. and I still had a great time with this combat system. So, uh, what really plays into like the fun of the combat system is the kind of famous mechanic which we talked about earlier, which is climbing on enemies. So. This is also governed by your stamina, but you can grab enemies and climb them. A lot of the enemies are bigger than you, uh, so you do need to climb them to get to weak points, like a Shadow of the Colossus or something like that. The other thing about it is that individual body parts can be damaged. So, like, you'll come up against, like, some enemy and, like, cutting its tail off will really make that fight a lot easier. So it's, like, priority number one, cut that fucking tail off. Uh, as soon as you can and so like the combination of like damaging body parts climbing on enemies to get to weak spots it's all a lot of fun and like while you have these big enemies there's usually a bunch of little scrubs running around if you hit them they go flying off into the distance it's it's just a very like satisfying and fun combat system yeah like especially with that climbing and big enemy thing like a lot of the weak points are pretty obvious. Like, it's usually the head. Um, yeah, yeah. But they do interesting things with it. Like, the there's, like, these big cyclopses that are, like, you know, three, four times as tall as you are. So if you crawl on their head, uh, they'll actually react and, like, grab at their head to pull you off. If you're cl- uh, climbing on their leg, they'll, like, stomp around to try and get you off their leg. Like, they're reacting to you in real time. Mm-hmm. And then later ones, they'll have, like, armor pieces armor pieces on them so you can't climb them and you have to break the armor first right cyclops helmets are a big deal later on uh because their main weakness is their eye but they have like a cage over it if you know how to exploit the ai you can actually get them to take it off themselves (laughs) Uh, (laughs) that's uh, like by crawling up i like that that's good the trick is to like crawl on their head and like wait for them to try and grab you so then when they try and grab you you jump and they'll end up grabbing their mask, which is like, I would have never thought of that in a million years if I hadn't read it online. Yeah, I, I had no idea about that. That's super cool. Um, maybe that happened by accident when I was playing, but uh, the battles are intense. And like those big enemies, even if they're not like bosses, there's just big enemies out in the world that you have to fight. And they all have like multiple health bars. Um if you're hitting the weak spots and stuff, you can just like melt down through the health bars. So you should be doing that. I can't really imagine fighting these like big strong enemies just by like chipping away at them. That doesn't, it doesn't, it's either not possible or it was like, so not like the fun part that I never did that. It would really take a long time, especially playing as like a melee type class or just a physical damage class of just, like, attacking the body would take a very, very long time compared to, like, getting after that weak point. Yeah. And and like I said, that's the fun part of the game, that you should be doing that anyway. If if you're not interested in, like, that climbing on and hitting the weak points and all that stuff, like, you should play a different game. I don't think this is going to be for you. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. 
and this uh, this climbing system also leads to like very funny situations uh, that happened to me a few times where like you can like grab onto enemies that can fly and they'll fly up in like straight up into the air with you on them and your stamina meter is running out and <laughs> I fell to my death several times because I ran out of stamina while grabbing onto a flying uh, enemy which like it sucks to die in a way like that and like you know, I have to restart at a checkpoint or something, but that's pretty, that's pretty funny. I'm, I'm in favor of that. Yeah. Like it, it's, you know, like a, a wild animal is going to try and buck you off. A thing that can fly is just going to try and get away. So either you let go or like, you'll eventually have to let go. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. And, uh, briefly, I, I don't really want to get in the weeds with, and you know, equipment and gear and stuff, but in this game, um, you do level up and stuff, but uh, buying a new weapon that's that's better than your old weapon is going to be a lot more effective for you than like one level up will do. So uh, your effectiveness in combat, I think, is really governed by the gear you have and the abilities that you equip. I, I don't want to say like not your skill. I, I'm sure that you can like I'm sure that people are good enough that they can like get through it with, you know, Low-level characters are shit gear, but it's really, for the average player, I think that gear and stuff is is the most important thing. Gear and abilities. Oh, yeah. Um, I would say level-ups are definitely important, like, but they're definitely the lower tier important. Like, you do want, like, the best equipment you can find. You want to upgrade, like, the good stuff that you have your abilities are definitely going to be wanting because you can upgrade abilities as well. So you want to be upgrading those with ability points. Yeah. And like what the funny thing about gear though, is like the high level strategies actually do use like the worst pieces of equipment because like a hidden feature of them is they actually inflict status effects. Mm-hmm. So like if you get like the worst sword in the game, which like this ru- rusted out broken sword, like it inflicts, I think, like the equivalent of slow on enemies if you hit them enough with it. At which point you then switch to like whatever your big weapon is. Ooh, I didn't even know that. That's cool. Yeah, I didn't either. This is just all from like wiki diving. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I would have never figured that out. Um, I was upgrading to the newest and best weapon the second I can afford to buy it. Yeah, that that, that was my main go-to as well. While we're on the subject, um, we can move into like talking about the RPG systems and like how you kind of customize your character and stuff. The I think the RPG systems in this are pretty uh, basic. You have you start out with your basic three warrior rogue mage setup, and then you get the ability to dual class. So math, there's like nine you know, classes that you can get into. I started out my playthrough as a mage, but I just got my ass handed to me um, in the early game. And I wasn't, I couldn't like figure out what I was doing wrong. So I switched to like a, a straight up warrior type and that was a lot easier. And then when I was able to dual class, I just did like the double warrior. I can't remember what it's called, but I was like double warrior and just bashing stuff and swinging a big old club around and stuff like that. So I had a great time uh, with that. Yeah, there's nine classes total. Like the basics 
the hybrids and then the doubles, like you said. Um, typically, I s usually do hybrids of either the Assassin, which is the Warrior Rogue, or the Mystic Knight, which is the Warrior Mage. Uh, Assassin is just, it's pure offense. So, like, the whole climbing thing, it has a special move for climbing, where, like, you just dig your sword, like, straight into him and just wiggle it around. And it melts everything. Like, like the final boss when I did it, like went down in seconds. It's ridiculous. Damn, that description is pretty brutal too. <laughs> yeah, but unfortunately, like it has zero means of defense. Like you're either out of the, you have to run out of the way or just take a hit. Because weird design decision in this game is like dodge rolling is tied to daggers. So if you're not using daggers, you can't roll. Mm. And then <laughs> shields are super useful in terms of like not taking damage, which is why I usually go back to the Mystic Knight. Mm -hmm. um, they got a big, like the biggest shields in the game and they cast spells with them. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So like you have, because mages also have the ability, like you can enchant weapons with uh, uh, elemental effects temporarily. Mm -hmm. Mystic Knight, they could do it on their own. So you're not waiting for like the AI to like, catch up to you and be like hey there's a zombie in front of me i need holy hurry up and cast holy why don't you cast holy oh my god i'm dying <laughs> and then you leave a bad yelp review on the pawn and there's bad feelings all around yeah exactly someone says your wife isn't useful <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a spiral all leading to that point someone says your wife isn't useful uh <laughs> exactly but every enemy you kill like gives you I guess the equivalent of ability points. So you go back in, you invest them in new abilities or upgrading the ones you have. Uh, also secondary and passive skills are also available. Like every class has its own set of passive skills and then gives you access to like these generalist ones, like increased health, increased stamina, increased stamina regen, like basic kind of agnostic things like that. And, because each one kind of has its own pool, like, once you get into the higher levels, you can mix and match these between classes. So, like, I'm running a Mystic Knight with, like, Assassin-level physical boosters. Mm-hmm. Cool. I didn't, uh, I didn't really dip into, like, I don't know, like, advanced stuff. I kind of remember, like, playing through this, and, like, I was able to get the abilities that I thought would be helpful, but... I think I remember like the the points you used to upgrade were they're not like super available or like they're available they let you upgrade your stuff like you're not hurting for them to get your upgrades but like I had a hard time like buying all the stuff I wanted so I di I don't remember getting too deep into that um like those skills from other classes I felt like I needed to like really get that warrior stuff down yeah, um, it gets easier once you're higher level just because, you know, typically RPG, you're leveling, you want strong enemies because they give a lot of XP. Mm -hmm. um, for the ability points, it's kind of the opposite of like, the. I think it's based on just number of enemies killed. So like, I know the what you want is weaker enemies so you can kill more of them quickly. And that's like the more effective way of leveling up abilities. Ah, gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So, yeah, I, like, is there anything else to the RPG system? I don't, I don't really remember much 
else other than, you know, picking your class, picking your abilities and, you know, leveling up your skills and buying new skills. Other than that, there's, there's, we talked about the gear. Um, I don't think there's a whole lot else going on. No. Um, well, this is what I'm actually like. One of the main reasons I like the game is the aesthetics of the gear. Like, I don't know. They jive with me really well. Cause it's all like classic night stuff. But mm-hmm. the system they made, like, you have an over-armor and an under-armor. So, like, you have, like, leather pants, and then over them you have the, these big iron boots, and it shows both. Which I yeah, think is, cool. like, super cool. Like, like it's, it makes for some great outfits. Like, if you go through the pond, like, browsing, like, people have made some crazy looks. Unfortunately, a lot of it is just, like, half-naked women. But... Yeah, you'll have that. You know, that's... Gamers. The internet. <laughs> Yeah, I I do remember the because I was playing like the ultra warrior class and that class is swinging like these giant like spiked clubs and every one that you get looked more and more badass from the one before. And I I do remember like the differences in those. It wasn't just like, you know, uh, great club, great club plus one. Uh, They they all looked different from each other and they all looked more like progressively more and more badass spikier yeah yeah like the mystic knight like because you get uh like higher level stuff like from killing dragons and like one of the best shields in the game for a mystic knight is literally just the wing of a dragon (laughs) that's badass i like that (laughs) yeah it's awesome that's super cool no one can talk to you no one can talk shit you just you know once they take one look at that dragon's wing you're carrying around on your back i mean you win any argument by default. Yeah. And I guess this does fall into RPG systems that didn't really get mentioned of like, there is upgrading of gear, which is like, you just go to the blacksmith, pay a price and you know, you get a better one. Yeah. For the end game, what you want is you actually have to go out into the world and find dragons because every piece of gear, when you kill a dragon has like a percentage chance to become what they call dragon forged. Uh-huh. And it's basically like the fourth tier of, you know, this is the best it could be. Right, right. And right. so if you're grinding out like your best stuff, you need to go out, you need to find a dragon. I think it's like a 30% chance to become Dragon Forge if it's already uh, maxed out at the blacksmith. <clears throat> so it becomes this weird cycle of, you know, fight regular enemies, get a bunch of random stuff to upgrade weapons, then go fight the dragon to dragon forge that thing in which case you get rarer materials from the dragon for the more high level gear to do it all over again mm-hmm. so but like uh are you are you finding the need to go through that with like several different levels of equipment like because you've gone through higher levels of the game than me um are you always finding better and better gear or is there a point where you're like this this is the best thing that I've got, like the best thing in the game. Do you find that? Or is it just escalating forever? Oh no, there's definitely at some point, like the best quote unquote level of gear. Um, they do a thing, which I like when games do is like the best gear, quote unquote, could be like one of four different things, depending on how you play. Mm -hmm. Like, and that's for each class. So like um, the best, you know, one-handed sword in the game is going to be different for a mystic knight than it is for just a straight up fighter because 
the best sword for a mystic fight is going to have you know magic bonuses on it true and then true. the best sword for a fighter is just going to be pull like pure physical damage so like you can go either of those routes and they exist in the game gotcha and then something we're going to get into a little later here is the dlc added in random rolls for the bonuses so like you can find armor with like health regeneration or poison resistance or sleep resistance so depending on what you're looking for that's where like you're gonna find your grind is like trying to roll the perfect piece of armor and then once you have it going after the materials to upgrade it gotcha cool yeah uh, this game like i said i played this game for about 30 hours i beat the game but it's it's kind of cool to know that it does go a lot deeper than uh what i got to in my playthrough yeah um, let's talk about the open world. Or uh, I'm doing air quotes right now. You can't see this because this is a, a podcast. But the open world <laughs> in this game, this isn't this is an open world game. Uh, you leave your starting town and you can wander the wilderness. As far as I know, you can go pretty much everywhere right from the beginning, or at least by the time you get to the main city. You can go anywhere uh, on the map, pretty much anywhere. Oh, yeah. You don't want to, though, because you'll get your ass kicked. Yeah. There's a lot discouraging you. Uh, There are over-leveled enemies that will stomp you into the ground immediately. Uh, So it does that. And I don't really mind it when games do that. Like, they're telling you, hey, dude, come back here later. This this is not for you right now. I don't really mind that. My kind of issue with this open world is that there's really no reason to explore outside of your main quests for a couple reasons. The first being that you will go everywhere during the main quest anyway. Like this, the map, when you look at the map, like when you open the map screen in the game, it looks huge. And it, the actual game area is like 10% of what the map shows you, Mm -hmm. which is kind of weird. It makes me think they ran out of money and had to cut a bunch of stuff or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Um, I was just going to kind of tag on to that. Like a lot of, like when you say open world, you imagine what's basically essentially a huge circle. This is shaped kind of like a tree branch where like you start at the bottom and you can go like one of three different paths, one of which leads to like the other main city in the game. And then like the other two are like just the further you go is just higher level enemies. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It is a weird shape. And that makes it like walking from one end of the map to the other is like, it's like driving across Kansas or something like that. Uh, it's it's kind of unbearable. There is fast travel, though. Uh, we'll talk about that. Well, we'll talk about it now. Like, there is fast travel in the game, which is very helpful because of that um, analogy I just made. Uh, you, you do not want to walk across this entire map. But fast travel yeah. is limited. It's an item uh, that you use uh, called uh, port crystals. And you need to strategically place them because you only get so many. And you can't... So if you know you're going to come back to an area like the main city, you should probably just drop one around the main city so you can teleport back whenever you need to. But this is not a... like. Skyrim, open the map, click on a thing, and instantly travel to that location, fast travel system. How do you feel about this uh, system, Adam? For me, it was definitely, it definitely helps the world feel dangerous, because you can't 
escape any situation easily unless you're just, you know, good old fashioned hoofing it right away. The interesting thing about this though, is that like the game has new game plus in it to where it saves your items and everything like that as a standard new game plus does, but it also saves your port crystals. So as the game goes on, you get a X amount of them, you know, on a standard game. When you do a new game plus, all the ones you already placed are still there, and you get X amount again. So, like, the more you play the game, the more you can basically set up your own Skyrim-style travel hub. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like I said, like, in the beginning, it's really strange because, like, it's kind of like uh, creating your own checkpoints. So, like, do I want to place it here? You know, is this a safe place? Uh, am I going to want to come back here soon? You know, so... It's really an interesting way to get you to like learn the world and be like, okay, I can get through this part easily. I don't need a crystal here. Or, you know, there's something here that can kill me. I want to come back later, you know, put a crystal here for later. Because they are movable too. I don't know if we mentioned that. Like once you put it down, you can pick it back up. Oh, yeah, again. they're not permanent for sure. So yeah, it's, it's like, again, it's a unique one, but unlike the pawn system, I don't know if I would want to see it in other things. Yeah, I I like, like, the way you describe it. It sounds good. And I do agree, there is some strategy. It was kind of interesting to, like, make that decision, like, where do I want to be able to fast travel to later? But, like, I just, like, there were two, there were so many times when I was, like, I'm going to put a port crystal here because I'm going to need to come back here. And then like that place was not important ever again. And so I had to like warp back, (laughs) pick it up, warp back and kind of just be like, well, that sucked. And that kind of like leads into my main issue with this being an open world. I mean, it's, it's not like a Skyrim sized map. Uh, So like this complaint is not as bad as I'm going to make it sound, but I don't think there's anything cool out in the world to go explore and find on your own, which is the thing that an open world should give you. If you're not going to do that, I don't really see the point of the open world. Yeah, that's, that's totally fair. Um, I think the only interesting things I have, cause I'm just, you know, judging this by what I have memory of is there's two healing ponds which you just go there and you could stand in it and it'll completely refill your health and then you can actually bottle the water and take it with you and use it as a healing item so those are like one of my main port crystal destinations because mm-hmm. free healing items why not yeah and then the other stuff is like monster spawns which is like where you'll find certain like high level monsters but then again like you're not going to find those you know until like later in the game because there is like spoiler alert there is like a world shift yeah there is i won't go into more detail Mm -hmm. but yeah so like the main stuff you're finding is really just you know it's not anything interesting but it's just stuff you need if you're going to dive deeper into the systems yeah that's fair enough i mean it's good that there are useful things out there yeah yeah, I guess if you made this game a and like a, a super linear thing, it would lose some of the experience and like the danger. I th- I like that word you used because 
the other, the thing that I do like about the open world is the day and night system where nighttime in Dragon's Dogma, especially when you're a lower level character, nighttime is scary and it's dangerous. Oh yeah. It's not like nighttime in Skyrim or other games where like you get like this nice moonlight reflection and it's dark, but you can still see everything like in Dragon's Dogma. It's pitch black. You can't see anything uh, beyond like what your torch will light up. And if you're stuck out in a dangerous place, it's uh, it's stressful for sure. Yeah. And like even the uh, the enemy spawning changes at night, like. Once the sun goes down, you know, zombies start popping out of the floor and they're like at lower levels tougher than your average Joes. Like they're tougher than goblins for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're in a forested area, like turning up your brightness is just going to make the game look crappy and you're still not going to see anything. (laughs) It is so dark. You can't cheat the night in Dragon's Dogma. No, not at all. And then what's hilarious, like I remember one of the first times I played the game, like, I went out, because, like, you know, like, any game, loading screens will give you tips, and, like, one of the big tips it gives you is, like, do not go out at night. And so, like, I, being a gamer American, just said, I'm gonna do it. I can handle it. <laughs> yeah. And I got to the edge of, like, this forested area, and I think it was, like, a chimera or something. It was one of the larger enemy types, but it was far enough away that I literally just see a, like a wall of black moving through the trees. And I went, <laughs> Nope. And went yeah. back to the city and went to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. And before I played, I, I, I read a bunch of things like before I play and people talking about it on Reddit and stuff. And they always mentioned the day and night thing. And I was like, yeah, sure. Like whatever I played, uh, I played bloodborne. I can handle, you know, nighttime, whatever, but no, this shit's uh, stressful. And so it, it is kind of like, ooh, it's getting dark. Where am I? How how like, how long is it going to take me to get back to this city or this safe place? And there were some like mad scrambles into just like any sign of civilization that I could find nearby to like ride out the night. Um, but the the thing is like, I didn't often get caught exploring out at nighttime. Uh, because like I said, I kind of realized early on that I'm not going to find much by going out and exploring off the beaten path. I'm either, either going to find some enemies that are going to like, you know, stomp me into the ground, like I said, or I'm going to find empty space and just like groups of enemies to fight. Mm-hmm. I did get caught out at night a lot after quests finished. Uh, and that was when I got into these situations. So you like, finish a quest and you're like oh cool the quest is done also you know it's 11 p.m good luck dude yeah that was like especially early on that was like the main uh mode of fast travel was when like oh it's nighttime i'm way out here in the boonies where i didn't need to go other than for a quest i'm just gonna teleport back yeah so the night system i think is very cool the open world is like you know, I, I have a hard time imagining this game as like a super linear, like an uncharted game or something. I don't think it would work so well, but I would hope if there's Dragon's Dogma 2, they put some cool stuff out there for people to find in the open world. I'll just say mm-hmm. that. that I think that's a pretty good compromise. Yeah. There is DLC, which we've brought up a couple of times, and I did not play the DLC. Uh, it's super endgame material. It's for like 
high level can you is it recommended to even do this on new game plus or is it like for the end of your new game um you can actually like the earliest you could take this on i think is probably right when you hit the end game of your first playthrough okay yeah it's right around there if like would be the first opening part of it um what the dlc is it's like this huge dungeon uh it's basically just a gauntlet of things it's you go to this island it's a big dungeon you go in you clear a couple rooms let's see i want to say it's kind of like a mini dark souls area but it's broken up by loading screens it's not like a big open area Mm -hmm. so like these rooms could be like arranged in space however they want but um every like four or five rooms you'll loop back out to the entrance so that you can rest you can talk to the merchant who's there and then go back in um so generally it's just a huge dungeon you let's just start with basics it's a lot of copy paste rooms because like the game is uh i want to say at this point i don't know what their budget was for this because mm-hmm. you'll have like seven or eight, you know, wireframes that they work with, and you'll see them like you'll see those strings right away. But they did enough to make them interesting. Because like there's you know four times you'll end up in the same long hallway, but one time the whole thing will be on fire, so you have to watch where you're walking. Another time it'll be pitch black, which you know we already talked about darkness and how difficult that can be to navigate. Mm-hmm. So you go through a couple of these rooms, you'll fight a boss, which, you know, the bosses in this game in general are pretty great. These ones, I think, at least visually, are the best of the best. Uh, the fights can be, you know, hit or miss. Once you fight the boss, that's when you loop back to the beginning. And then you rest, you turn in any gear you find, because unlike the main story will you just find an item mm-hmm. you'll find some items here but the best stuff is stuff that's what they call cursed so when you pick it up it's just like a black cloud of something and you have to take it back to this certain merchant that's at the beginning and they'll purify it and then that's when you get whatever it is and this kind of has like an RNG-ness to it which is where like the grinding comes in mm-hmm. so a lot of people like end game this is this is their end game like this is running the dungeon getting the loot coming back running it again you know this is where it all is okay and there's stuff here that isn't in like the rest of the game like you have like these more i don't want to say more interesting but definitely more experimental enemy types Mm -hmm. like there's one that's like it's a 10 foot tall skeleton with a giant sword (laughs) always i'm always there for giant skeletons yeah but they are tough as nails like they have insane physical resistance so you have to have you know a coordinated uh mage with you or just have the ability to do magic damage yourself the base game has like these chubby zombies that if you light them on fire they explode Mm -hmm. in the dlc there's 10 foot tall versions of those (laughs) they don't explode and they will just run through these narrow hallways, just knocking everything over. <laughs> you know, this 
they're there because of the story, but there are like abandoned pawns that have lost their minds and they will attack you on sight. Oh, that's super cool. And so, yeah. So you have these guys that are, you know, they have your abilities and they're attacking you with them. Like the, uh, the assassin and the, uh, rogue character have like this weird, uh, I want to call it a ninja dash of just like running back and forth really fast with their daggers, hitting people. And like, they will do that to you and they'll mess you up. And it's like different things that you're dealing with that aren't in the base game, which, you know, even if they copy pasted a bunch of rooms, it's stuff like this that I'm giving them credit for because it's the encounter design is new and unique. That sounds cool. Yeah. It's really, uh, it's really interesting. And then they did something that's super, uh, annoying. I don't want to say annoying, but definitely something you have to keep track of is that now when enemies die in the base game, they'll just kind of melt into nothing. This time they leave behind a corpse and the more corpses you have in a room is actually trouble because it'll attract nastier monsters. Mm-hmm. And they call them carrier, uh, carrying creatures. And so you'll just be fighting. You'll kill something for like the 10th or 11th time. I don't know what the number is. And all of a sudden, the screen will go black. There's a boss health bar that appears on top of the screen. And there's a giant something looking at you, depending on what it is. Damn. That sounds like that would scare the shit out of you the first time you see it. Oh, hell yeah, dude. It's like, and it's a random roll what you get. Because, you know, they want to keep you on your toes. And it works. Cool. So you, uh, I mean, it sounds like it could get annoying if that happens. Does that happen every, you know, run you go into the dungeon or is it kind of spread out? Uh, it's definitely spread out. You can do it on purpose. Like there's special items you can get that are like bait and you can bring them out intentionally if you want to, because they have like some of the highest level stuff. They are the highest level enemies. So you're getting huge XP and gold from them, Mm -hmm. but they're basically their own boss fights. And then the bosses on this DLC are some of the, like, this is where, like, they put a bunch of creativity into them. And you could tell um, one of the first ones you run into, like, the base game has what is obviously a D&D beholder. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just this circle floating around with tentacles coming off it, a giant eyeball, but the eyeball is in its mouth. <laughs> um, the DLC has one. It's so big, you probably, like, you definitely can't fit the whole thing on the screen in the room they give you it's massive and then it's made of stone so the only way to fight it is get inside its mouth oh that's super cool love that (laughs) yeah another one is like a lot of the uh you know all the boss fights mostly are one or two individual things Mm -hmm. one of the boss fights in the dlc is you have this floating like ghost priest who summons a zombie dragon and you either have to focus on him or focus on the dragon. But at some point, this zombie ghost thing will possess the dragon. So now you have to fight both, either get him out of it or just kill them while he's inside it. But it's, you know, it's a definitely a wrinkle to what the normal thing is. The last boss of the actual dungeon is a giant... I don't know how to describe him other than a balrog from mm-hmm. lord of the rings right and 
he's an asshole because he has a move that's basically he teleports out your pawns unless you stop it because it has like a big wind up but if you let it launch your pawns will just be gone and then it's you and him one-on-one and he's a bastard (laughs) ah that sucks (laughs) and the the dlc ties into the story in some way like I'm guessing. Um, no spoilers right now, but it does, right? Uh, it's it ties into it in a way that like it wouldn't make sense unless you know what's going on in the main story, like what the actual, I guess, hook or twist is. Like if you don't know what's going on in the world, it just sounds like gibberish. Do you need to know the ending, or because like you're go- you're probably going into this like very late in the game but before the ending where there's a lot of exposition happening so do does the story make sense in that way or do you need to know the ending for the story to make sense you'll get like 90 percent understanding if you just kill the dragon because okay. uh i guess spoilers for that is like the dragon is the beginning of the end game for this game right. even though like you know, your main goal of the whole game is to kill the dragon, but, like, that's the the beginning of the end is how the game is structured. Mm-hmm. Right. And then once you have killed the dragon, you'll have no enough for most of the stuff in the DLC to make sense. Okay, fair enough. On that note, let's move on and kind of talk about the story. Uh, I don't think it's a giant spoiler to say that you kill the dragon because the game begins as a dragon attacks your hometown and... Uh, in a very weird cutscene, the dragon takes its claw, and uh, you, you you're the only one who runs out to go fight it. And uh, the dragon kills you, mm-hmm. obviously, and it takes its claw and pulls your heart out. It's like this cool animation. It looks like he's plucking a hot dog weenie with a toothpick, just like, <laughs> yeah. And here's her heart. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to describe it. It's a very delicate, like. Uh, I'm just going to take that one right there. Let me just grab that. And uh, <laughs> you're you're dubbed as the Arisen, uh, which in this game means uh, you are tasked with fighting the dragon to end the apocalypse that the dragon brings. Um, and you get your pawns. Uh, that's the pawn's story purpose is to serve the Arisen. Uh, they are like half human or they're human with no will of their own or something like that and they're just there to serve the uh, arisen and that's all we're going to say until the spoiler wall because this all of this you get this information in the first like half hour of the game and then there is like almost Mm -hmm. no important story detail until basically when you're getting ready to fight the dragon and that's like there's like 20 hours of game where the story is uh, extremely forgettable yeah it's especially um your first time through because it all uh the way the game structures it's literally just a list of quests that you do and they seem unrelated and it's a weird pacing thing because like once you look back probably like your second playthrough or just like if you take good notes all all the random quests you go on in like the first two thirds of the game are actually weirdly related to the same plot if you know what you're looking for. But if you don't, which obviously you're not going to, it's just 
okay, now I'm over here fighting a ca- fighting things in a castle. Now I'm over here talking to an old man, and he doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a weird, weird way to structure a game, um, especially on if like a majority of players are not like me where they're going to go back and be like, okay, what did I just do? I'm going to play it again. Cause maybe I missed something like it's, it's a weird way to put like, I guess a bad foot forward, but it's not even bad. Well, it is bad because it's a weird cheesy story, but it's, it's just weird. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll stick with weird. Yeah. I definitely know what you mean. The, the story up until like the, I would say like the 80% mark of the game, the story is laughably absent if you don't know what's actually happening and you don't learn what's actually happening until you literally beat the game. So I guess I can see how going through on a new game plus you could be like, Oh yeah, that's why that's happening. But for the average person who's only going to play the game once, Mm -hmm. it's going to seem real weird Mm-hmm. And then it goes from zero to 100 uh, at the end and things get weird. And we're going to stop there before we get into uh, spoilers. But uh, the story is interesting. It goes some very interesting places, but you do have to get through that, you know, 20 hours where it seems like absolutely nothing important is happening. Yeah. Um I guess like a good way to put it is like the first 80% of the game is you're setting up a, like a game board and you know, you're being fed little tidbits of information. And then once you get past that 80%, this is when the game just starts directly telling you information and like, here's, you know, what's going on with the world. Here's the world we live in. Here's the choice you have to make. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I hope that if you haven't played Dragon's Dogma and you're kind of on the fence about it or you played, you know, five hours of it and you're like, what the fuck is this? Like this story is not doing anything. You can trust us that it does it does go somewhere interesting. You do have to kind of push through that, in my opinion. Before we get into spoilers, we kind of brought this up earlier, this kind of comparison that people bring up between Dragon's Dogma and Dark Souls. And if you look at like still shots side by side, they look pretty similar with like, you know, the way the camera is and the way your character looks. I want to get your quick opinion about like Dark Souls versus Dragon's Dogma. I actually don't know your history with Dark Souls, so I'll ask you that as part of that question too. Um, history with Dark Souls is I'm a fan. Uh, I think I have the pretty standard story of trying it, bouncing off of it because I went the wrong direction and then coming back and loving it. Mm -hmm. But in terms of comparisons beyond the superficial of like 
It is a Japanese-developed Western fantasy action RPG. I don't think there's a lot there. Like, I really think the comparisons just came out because of A, proximity. I think these were within, like, a couple months of each other. And then, you know, just being superficially similar in terms of looks, like, they just naturally kind of got grouped together. Mm -hmm. And then I know... I don't remember if it was in the press or not, but it was definitely in the talk about the game that the nighttime was super hard. And so you have, you know, that comparison automatically of like, oh, Dark Souls is hard. Dragon's Dogma is supposedly hard. Therefore, they are similar games. But I do not see anything beyond that because like Dark Souls, you have very high level skill base gameplay. Like you can do level one soul runs Mm -hmm. and you know, be successful. Dragon's Dogma, like, A, there's not really a a way to stop yourself from leveling up other than just not fighting things. But B, like, because of the weird limitations they have on your defensive vocabulary, there's not a lot of skill-based gameplay either. Like, it is very stats and gear-based of if you try and fight the final boss as a level 1 character, 99.9%, you're just gonna die immediately Mm -hmm. yeah i i totally agree the and that's the thing for me that really like i feel like people who are making dark souls and dragon's dogma comparisons have not played both games because they're very very different in how you have to play Mm -hmm. and like your gear your weapon upgrades and stuff in dark souls are incredibly important but like you said, there's there's people who can beat Dark Souls with the soup ladle at level one because it's a skill based game at the end of all of that. So, yeah, it's a it's a comparison that I'm glad got brought up uh, on the show because I keep hearing it uh, around and it's so weird to me that these games look similar but they're completely different in how they play. Oh, so, yeah. just wanted to bring that up real quick and have a little. A little chat chat yeah like glad i can you know spew my thoughts on that yeah and we can we can debunk that for anybody who um is kind of like using that as a comparison in their head if they haven't played these games so cool so moving on let's take a little break and when we come back we'll give our final thoughts uh, about dragon's dogma in summary And we're back, and we're going to give our final thoughts on Dragon's Dogma, whether or not we recommend it, and stuff like that. So Guest always goes first. Um, Adam, kind of in summary, how do you feel about this game? What do you want to tell to the people listening to this episode who haven't played it? 
I would say absolutely play it. It's um, like we said, it's a really weird kind of story thing, but don't let that put you off. If anything, you're going to have fun with the combat. Like something we didn't mention is like, you know, kinesthetically, it's very pleasing. Like the sound effects, you know, just the general feel of the weight of the combat is really good. And it would be an excellent turn your brain off, play for a little bit, watch numbers go up, you know, kill some monsters, get some loot, uh, real basic, you know, kind of RPG. And on that level, it definitely succeeds. Yeah, totally agree. I think this is a one of a kind game. This is, you know, this game came out eight years ago without double checking those dates again. I haven't played anything that really feels like this. This is like elements of Shadow of the Colossus uh, put into, you know, a a regular like action RPG uh, style thing. And it works really, really well. I can't agree more with what you just said there, Adam. The combat is really fun. Even when the story was dragging, I was having a ton of fun playing the game. And I was like laughing at how bad the story was. Like it, yeah, I can, uh, I can take enjoyment out of that too. But the main thing is that like this combat is so fun. And uh, if you get past the part where the story is like not doing much for you, I do think it is like bonkers wild at the end and very, very it's a very fun resolution to the story, I think. So I mm-hmm. also recommend people play this. If you haven't played it, it's an old game. It's cheap. It's available on like any modern system that you have. Oh, yeah. Like I said, I played it on Switch and I had a great time playing it on Switch. So I definitely think that uh, it takes a few big swings and it connects on enough of those to make this uh, a good time. Agreed. Cool. Well, we are going to do a little housekeeping here. If you're going to tap out now, this is the point where we are going to say uh, spoilers after this point. So if you're going to tap out now, thank you for listening. And if you would like to support the show, please subscribe on your platform of choice, leave ratings and reviews. And the best thing you can do is tell other people who love video games about this podcast. Um, I also do a podcast called A Top 3 Podcast with uh, three of my best buddies. And each week we pick a topic, we pick our top threes in that topic, and we discuss and argue the way that old friends do. So that is a good time if you like hearing me talk about things, which of course you do. Go check that one out too. Um, Adam, do you want to like direct people to anything you're doing or social media or anything like that? I don't have much going on uh, creative-wise. I do have a social media page, but I post maybe once a month maybe (laughs) Um, if you want to look that up the main thing is twitter uh handle is booyah boy b-o-o-y-a x in the middle because i made it in middle school (laughs) b-o-y uh i also twitch stream even less than i post on twitter uh handle is desba 713 d-e-z-b-a 713 you can follow those if you like if you like hearing the sound of my voice I'm I'm pretty sure I have a playlist saved on there of me playing through Resident Evil 7. So if you want to hear me scream in fear, there (laughs) you go. Hell yeah. 
and I'll put links to those uh, in the episode description here. So if you're interested, go down in the episode description and check that out. We are going to take a little break, and when we come back, it is spoiler time for Dragon's Dogma. Okay, we're back, and it is spoiler time for Dragon's Dogma, and we are going to kind of go through the story in kind of more chronological order than we do uh, a lot of times on this show, because this story is pretty straightforward, and then you get to the end, and a bunch of shit hits the fan, and everything goes crazy, and we'll talk about that. But, Mm -hmm. after the dragon steals your heart, which we talked about earlier... You do some stuff. You run through some quests for 15 hours or so. (laughs) You're doing basically fantasy stuff. Like, yeah, there's this wizard. You got to go fight this wizard. And then like, oh, there's a griffin. You got to help these people fight this griffin. That's the one I talked about earlier where I I failed the quest because I ran out of stamina 2,000 feet up in the air. Um, uh, Anything else that's memorable in this middle point? Yeah, there's an evil cult. Um you get introduced to like a band of all female thieves at one point, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just general, like go out and fight some monsters, buddy. You'll be fine. Yeah. Um, there is a good, uh, I like the quest. I want to say it's kind of midway through the game. This middle portion really just bleeds together into one solid block of me wondering when things are going to happen. But like the, there's a quest where like this monster is attacking like the poor area of town. Uh, you got to go through there and fight um, monsters inside like the city limits. I thought that was pretty cool, but not a whole lot memorable. Oh yeah, the from uh, that. the cockatrice right. fight. Yeah, the that cockatrice. thing is brutal. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I died uh, at least one time. This game, uh, this game can be difficult at times. Um, I didn't really. Um, I didn't find this to be like super punishing all the time, but it was a challenge and it was a, that cockatrice fight and that Griffin fight too was uh those were good fights. I enjoyed those. Yeah. Uh, the game isn't afraid of like, you know, pressing on the gas pedal every once in a while, which is a good thing. Yeah. So we're, we're just going to jump ahead in the story to when things start to get really weird. And the point where I think it gets weird is when you are meeting the Duchess in her room. Um, and I don't remember why you're there. And while I was playing, I was like, why am I here? Are you like supposed to be having an affair with her or something? Uh, that's kind of the thing is like, she falls in plot love with you because you know, you're the dashing young hero and she was, you know, a marriage of convenience and, I'm pretty sure like a political arrangement. Probably. So, you know, like you, in the beginning of the game, you, your big mission is getting to the main city. And then once you're at the main city, you have an audience with the Duke because, you know, you're the arisen, you're this 
chosen hero. Mm-hmm. And on your way out is when you meet the Duchess for the first time. And then, you know, just saying hi was enough for her to get you to invite you up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so I was super confused about like why you're up in her bedroom at night. But then the Duke comes in and you have to hide. And the Duke comes in and starts choking her. And like, I guess you have a choice of whether to intervene or not. And yeah, like, obviously I did. I, I, you know more about this plot point than I do. So like, where is your choice or like, how, how optional is this really? Um, well, the whole scene actually is optional, which is funny. Like, cause the way you get the invitation is like, she sends her handmaiden out to talk to you and she's like, Oh, I want you to meet the Duchess at night and you could just never go. And eventually (laughs) the quest will cancel itself out if you get further. And then again, this is one of those weird things that doesn't make sense unless, you know, you either play again or look it up uh, about why he's going crazy and trying to kill her. Right. Um, I guess we're past the spoiler wall now. It's like the whole Oedipus of the dragon is he presents you like the Sophie's choice of like, do you want power or do you want to try and kill me? And like in exchange for power, he takes the Arisen's you know, chosen love, Mm -hmm. which, you know, we can get into that a little bit later. So he, the Duke made the choice of giving up his love and now he's basically broken in the brain. So, you know, he's killing his new wife out of, uh, derangement basically. Right. Right. And, you know, middle of the cutscene is when it cuts to you to like, try and like go and stop him. Like when he's in the middle of, you know, trying to kill her, but if you stay hidden the whole time, like you basically just don't move, you make the choice of letting her die, basically. Okay, gotcha. So it ends up shaking out the same way because whether you intervene or not, you get sent to the dungeon. If you intervene, the Duke's like, huh, what are you doing here? You know, you know, treason, send him to the dungeon. Right. You get sent to the dungeon. If you don't intervene, you know, I'm pretty sure in cutscene after she's dead, you kind of like poke your head out and be like, dude, you just killed your wife. And she's like, no, you killed her dungeon. (laughs) Yeah. So you get, you get sent to the dungeon. I, I, is it that you're accused of raping her? If you intervene, is that what it is? Yeah. uh, Like she kind of saves her own skin and sells you out. Like he snuck into my room. He was like trying to, you know, kidnap me, blah, blah, blah. And sells you out to save herself, basically. Yeah. And so... Uh, which, you know, the dude's crazy. I don't really blame her. <laughs> yeah, sure. Of course. You, you got to stay alive. And, like, I'm the Arisen. I literally can't die. So, sure. Um, and so, like, you get sent to the prison. You break out of prison within, like, five minutes. Yeah. And then you, you go back and you can just walk around and no one is like, hey, weren't you in prison five yeah. minutes ago? Didn't you try to like force yourself on the Duchess? And like the Duke still gives you quests and stuff. And yeah. I thought that was weird until you pointed out that that whole tower scene is optional. And that's why like they probably... They just couldn't ride around it in any way. They yeah. probably would have had trouble flagging all of those things. Yeah. yeah. And then if you have... Um, yeah, so... Sorry. Uh, if there is you know, background information, there is an affection system with every named NPC in this game. So if your affection for whatever reason is high enough with her, she'll actually come and break you out. 
which is kind of cool. Yeah, I can't remember. Like, she'll show up at your cell and, like, she'll give you the key to get out. I think that's what happened in my game. I think that's how I got out. It's like, if you have the affection system high enough with a different character, will that character come break you out? No, it's just that one. Um, And I think if you don't, like, the normal way is, like, you just find a key and get out that way. Yeah. Yeah. In either case, it's real quick. So uh, we mentioned that the... Uh, the Duke is a former Arisen who is uh, going crazy. And um, I'm not, I don't remember exactly when you learn that. Like, do you learn that before you fight the dragon or after? It's told to you after, but you can find it out before. Like, I believe somewhere, just an incidental dialogue, someone says, oh, like, he's the Duke because he killed the dragon so many years ago. Okay, gotcha. So. Yeah, let's uh let's talk about that like that dragon fight because this is kind of the beginning of when um like you're getting this like massive plot dump for why everything is happening um kind of starting when you face the dragon. So, I just want to say like before the dragon fight, there is a very cool uh like set piece run up to the battle arena um that I enjoyed a lot. Like it was much more cinematic than a lot of the things in this game were. Yeah, um, are you talking like the mini dungeon or like when the dragon is like actually chasing you? When the dragon is chasing you uh, to the arena. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like that part is it. Yeah, it's definitely a shakeup from the rest of the game because usually you're just kind of wandering and fighting these pre-placed enemies. But like this is like you're on a bridge and he's knocking down pillars and like you're climbing a tower and he's busting through the wall like it's insane for yeah. like like the first time in like like the rest of the world is very static yeah yeah it's a proper set piece and like gotta think i like i start to think about like the budget in this game and th- this is clearly like we spent a bunch of money on this part because we wanted this to be cool and they succeeded here which is like the right decision because you built the whole game up around like hunt this dragon like this dragon's got to be good. Yeah. And it is good. Yeah. You go into the final arena to face the dragon and it talks to you and it gives you that kind of bargain that you mentioned earlier where you can choose to fight it or you can choose to sacrifice your loved one uh, to uh, get power and like you would become the new Duke or something like that. And what's interesting Um, I think he just defaults to Duke, but the, sorry. Yeah, I think he just defaults to make you Duke, but the actual lore that you learn is that he will grant you a wish. Okay. Like whatever wish you want in exchange for this person. And the the Duke's wish was to become Duke, which. Yeah, I'm assuming like art for power or something like that. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. So the weird thing here, and I want to get your experience with this. The weird thing is based on that affection system, your loved one um, can be different for each playthrough, depending on who you raised the affection points the highest for. This is a hidden system. It's not something you mm-hmm. like are super aware of that's happening. So who was your, or you've played it multiple times. Who did you get in this, like your loved one scene? Uh, I've gotten a few different people like uh, one was like I've gotten the princess a couple times because if you do that scene with her and the Duke 
saving her, you get tons of affection points for her. Mm-hmm. And then like, there's another weird side quest where like she's shipped off to another cast, uh, another castle. And if you go and rescue her, that's another big affection boost for her. Gotcha. So, and typically this quest comes around like right before the end of the game. So like she's the last person you talk to more than likely um, because the whole system is based on a who's at max affinity with you and B who's the last one of those maxed out people that you talk to. Gotcha. So like it was possible when the game first launched because you're talking to the blacksmith a shit ton. Yeah. You know, the blacksmith's <laughs> going to show up. Yeah. And this is this very hilarious story I heard from a lot of, uh, people are like other podcasts talking about this game where they're like, yeah, you could choose choose to sacrifice your loved one. And it's just like the blacksmith because you talk to the blacksmith the most throughout the game. And that that detail is so funny to me that they they built this like system for picking who's going to be there. And it's like, oh, uh, we didn't mean for the blacksmith to be the one who was maxed out. But here you go. This is your loved one. Yeah, like I think they patched it now. So like you, ha- in order to get the blacksmith, you had to like intentionally try and get the blacksmith. Same thing with like the gesture can show up, like the little you know little person gesture that the duke has running around his castle. He can show up. <laughs> I believe this came with the DLC. I don't know if it was part of the original game, but they added an item called the Arisen's Bond, which is like a ring, and then giving that ring to someone is like the guarantee of this person's going to show up. Okay, cool. So if I want to guarantee that the blacksmith and I will live happily ever after. Exactly. That's how I do it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, typically I'll either go with the princess or the, uh, the girl from the village where you start out at, because that just seems like thematically appropriate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That that is and that's like at the very beginning of the game when you're still doing stuff in the village, it's very heavily hinted that like you at least have a long history with this person. It would make sense. Yeah, like there's a quest later on to like save her from like the woods. Um there's more quests if you follow her storyline, she ends up like joining a nunnery to like try and research the dragon. Um and like you can do a bunch of quests for her there. Like there's a lot of weird hidden stuff in this game yeah yeah she died in my game because i i didn't go do that quest in time to like rescue her in the woods oh shit uh see and in the woods there's another girl that you can rescue which is like um we're past the spoiler roll now she was originally a pawn and it's it goes into like this whole other backstory of like what happened to the past arisens um which is a big thing with the dragon fight is apparently a lot of people have made this deal of, you know, either not fighting the dragon or just letting someone die. Mm -hmm. And you meet three different arisens or well, you meet two and find the grave of another one throughout the whole game. Like you have the Duke who's an arisen and you have an old man that lives in the mountain by himself. And, what looks like a younger looking twin, but apparently it's his pawn. Mm -hmm. And then the witch of the woods, quote unquote, the old lady who was the witch wasn't arisen, but she's dead. And her pawn now who thinks she's her granddaughter is living there by herself. Interesting. That's cool. And they'll come into play later. Yeah. Gotcha. 
yeah, I missed all of that because the the hometown girl died because I didn't go do that quest in time, and then I just never had another reason to go back there, I don't think. Or like I did, but it was oh, yeah. for something else and I wasn't looking in that place and stuff like that. So So back to that dragon fight, which is the Yeah. Like I wanna say it's the most like it's the biggest spectacle boss fight in the game, which like you said, it should be because it's, it's the dragon. It's been built up for 20 hours at this point. Uh, and the fight's a lot of fun. It's kind of tough. I had a good time with this final boss fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got to climb them. Like you mentioned before, there's actually like Bastila set up. So you try and shoot him while he's flying around. It's, it's really well done in the sense of giving you like a lots of big final boss energy. Yeah. And like, there are other dragons that you can fight throughout the game, but this one is like huge. It's a massive uh, enemy to fight. So you like, you basically have to climb up and stab it as weak points and stuff like that. Yeah. So in the story, after you beat the dragon, this is like the, the world shift that you mentioned earlier. Uh, The main city is basically like, half destroyed because a giant pit opens up in the middle of it and (laughs) I'm not quite sure why like why did they have to destroy the main city other than you know games do this thing where you have like your safe place and they mess it up and it's no longer your safe place anymore I don't know if they're going for that or something like that but in any case a giant pit is opened up where the main city once stood and this is like the final dungeon and you got to jump in. I kind of like the thing where you like you jump and you're kind of like free falling down. You can control your direction and land in different places. And you have to go through these combat challenges to collect uh, wake stones. And the combat challenges are a lot of fun. Uh, and like they should be. Combat yeah. is what this game, uh, what the forte of this game is. And This is basically like, okay, we're going to put you in all these different situations with enemies that maybe have never been combined before. Maybe some stuff you haven't seen before. Like, this is your final test, basically. Yeah, um, this this endgame dungeon is one of my favorite parts of the game because of how, like, they knew exactly what this game was good at, and so they made it all here. Mm -hmm. Um, But falling down forever, like you said, when you, like, picking a floor... I get so much pleasure out of just falling and then letting my Arisen just smack right on his face onto a platform. There's a button you can get to land safely. I'd never press it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there's a bunch of stuff here that isn't even in the main game. Like you have, like, you fight one Hydra as part of the story. There's another Hydra in here and also an albino Hydra, which is stronger. Uh, and then one of these rooms, I don't know if you ever found this one but this is one of the coolest features of this game is there's like a raid MMO style boss here that you go in, you fight as much as you can and eventually it'll leave. And like this thing has so much HP, the bar doesn't move when you're attacking it. It's called the Ur dragon. Okay. I don't know if you ever saw this. It doesn't ring a bell. It's the final boss. Again, that same dragon uh, the move set's a little simplified just because he's you don't have like the flying around and stuff anymore. Mm-hmm. 
And instead of just the one main weak point, he has like 20 all over his body. And the idea is that it's all connected to the server. So you and like anyone else who's fighting him is all contributing to the damage pool. And the idea is, is to work with the community and kill this giant bastard of a dragon. And if you do, if you succeed, if you manage to get the killing blow on him, you get like, the greatest stuff in the game, like the best equipment. You get like 20 wake stones right off the bat. So yeah, and it's an interesting system because it's built around what they call grace periods of like, okay, the dragon is at a killable level. You have 30 minutes before he resets. Go. Okay. And so like people make whole runs of like killing the dragon like six, seven times within that 30 minute period. And like just farming as much gear as possible (laughs) and like at this and every time he dies he comes back with more and more hp like at this point i think he's over a billion hit points (laughs) uh that's that's wild i yeah i definitely didn't see that in my game but that's cool yeah and so like quick question though like when you're when you're doing that like say would have you ever been in a situation where it's like there's just not a lot of people online right now and I'm up against this thing that I, I can't do by myself. Is that a possibility? Um, I believe on like the older releases, like the 360 version, since like no one's playing it anymore, yeah, you're definitely stuck there. Um, I play on Xbox Series X now um, with the re-release and it's still pretty healthy. Like, it ha- it keeps track of when the dragon dies, and it's pretty much at least like once or twice a week that that thing goes down. Okay. So it's still healthier kind of community. Gotcha. Um, and even if it does eventually die, there is an offline version, which is totally killable by yourself. You don't get as many rewards from it, but it's there. Okay, cool. Gotcha. So you're going through this final dungeon. You're trying to collect these... Uh, wake stones you need to get a certain number of them and like correct me if i'm wrong but you don't have to beat all of the combat arenas in here i think there's like like one or two extra you don't have to do all of them am i remembering that right yeah well you don't if you are like on a new game plus like me you don't have to do any of them oh true all it uh, only thing is looking for is a certain amount of wake stones so you could even go into the dungeon from playing the normal game if you've grinded enough to just hey i already have 20 wake stones here you are that's true and like you're done already without even going into a single room yeah but uh like you said earlier these these rooms are really good they're a ton of fun uh because the combat situations they've set up are are pretty damn fun yeah so uh anyway yeah and this is where like the more unique bosses are uh Mm -hmm. like we mentioned the beholder earlier that thing's in here all kinds of cool stuff. Sorry, go ahead. No, it's okay. So once you're done with uh, this and you get that, you uh, you remember that this is a Japanese game, <laughs> uh, a Japanese RPG. So you uh, you ascend to like another realm and you face God, <laughs> which is just a, a twist that I did not see coming. Uh, but I should have because I play JRPGs and, you know, that trope exists for a reason. So 
you go up and you talk to God, uh, who's called the Seneschal. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Mm -hmm. And so you get the choice to fight God or to return and live a peaceful life. Um, And you kind of, this kind of sets up your uh, ending. And so, yeah, if you fight God and you lose, you become the next dragon and the cycle continues and the cycle of the arisen and stuff like that uh, will repeat. If you fight and you win, Mm -hmm. you become God. Um, And like in the game, you go back down. I just watched a video of this. You go back down. uh, No, no, this happened in my game. Never mind. This is the one I got. You go back down to the world and you're in your hometown, but you're invisible and you can't do anything except just run around and be invisible. You can kill people too, but okay. that's it. Yeah, but you can't you can't like you can't play the game as intended. No. And the other choice you have is to kill yourself. Like you become god, you fight god. It's an easy fight. You take I took him down pretty quickly cuz by this point you have abilities that will just fuck up any single enemy that you're fighting. Yeah. Uh it was pretty easy. And uh you can once you become god you can kill yourself which is like the good ending i guess Mm -hmm. you kill yourself you fall back down to earth and you wake up and your pawn is there but your pawn is in your body yeah like your pawn's voice is coming out of your body and when this happened i was like what the fuck just happened i what this is like the when I said it was bonkers earlier, this is like I have no idea what's happening here. Yeah. Uh yeah, this is the bonkers part and like this is what I was alluding to earlier when I said like the previous arisen and their pawns are like kind of looking like each other. Okay. So the idea here is that because pawns by default they're shells, they don't have souls. But the more they interact with humans, the more they learn, the more human-like they become, which is, like, the theme around, you know, recruiting pawns and then learning things. Mm-hmm. So you have, you know, the more time you spend with the pawn, the more it becomes like you. Well, your pawn was next to God, so your pawn becomes you. Yeah. For whatever reason. <laughs> I don't know the why. So when you kill yourself, you die, and... Now your pawn just looks like you because that's what happens with pawns. Okay, so your pawn is your pawn looks like you. It's not inhabiting your body. No, it just looks exactly like oh, you. Okay, I, gear and everything. I thought that like I thought that you awoke as a pawn and then your pawn took over your shell of a body or something like that. No, yeah, like you basically gifted your you gifted your pawn your a soul. And now they can live a life. Okay. And then, like, your romantic partner, like, runs over to embrace you, but it's not you, it's your pawn. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so now they just both live. Yeah. And it's a lot that happens in this, like, this is all happening in, like, one cutscene. It's a lot to take in in, like, a two-minute cutscene at the end of the game. Yeah, it's it definitely throws you for a loop. And then it pulled me out of it. I don't want to say pulled me out of it, but it was hilarious to me that 
my, you know, I'm a man of carriage and very tall in real life. I am six foot two. Mm -hmm. So I modeled my character after that. My wife is smaller and she has a higher pitch voice and I modeled my main pawn after her. So I gave her like the (laughs) higher pitch female voice. Right. So at the end of this cutscene, my big burly in-game body has her voice coming out of it. And it is hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> I had the same thing where like my I made my character look as like he's like big and fat and ugly and he has a horrible mustache. Um and I had fun making like this hideous character and my main pawn was like this this warrior lady type. And yeah, it was funny to hear her voice mm-hmm. coming out of that. Um, even more so when you've modeled your your pawn after your wife and yourself after yourself. That's that's pretty yeah. good. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so this like this story ending uh, is. I didn't really get that it was a cycle until actually not even when I was playing the game because I got the ending where you break the cycle. Um, I kind of as like doing research for this episode I learned that this whole thing is a cycle and like what the dragon actually is and that the dragon is searching around trying to find a new arisen to challenge them and it's like the dragon is trying to face the cycle and all of this this whole cycle is because people keep losing when they're fighting God is is that what's going on here yeah um a small detail I missed my first time through and you won't see again unless you start a brand new game from scratch like not even a new game plus is the Seneschal that you're fighting is the dude from the opening cutscene oh so he was like the last one to fight the dragon and win okay and so from there like everyone like what they what you kind of glossed over is like when you beat the Seneschal he does die like he moves on Mm -hmm. right so i think that's what everyone is looking for like as the seneschal because they make it very obvious it's pretty boring being god yeah and so everyone you know they'll send out another dragon find someone that can kill me so i can move on and i think the whole point of our character is we break that cycle by being like the first ones to just end it ourselves we don't send another dragon we don't choose another reason. We just die. Right. And this was like a completely, I don't know, like unforeseen outcome. Like the, the, the arisen, like becoming the Seneschal and then killing themselves. Yeah. Which like, you know, it sounds good in the event, but at the same time, there's not a lot of information of like why this cycle even exists in the first place. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Yeah, so it's not like, you know, a Dark Souls where, like, oh, the fire, like, is, you know, it represents the world and it keeps the world from falling apart. Like, there's no reason for this dragon thing to even be going on other than, hey, there's a dragon thing and it has a direct link to God. Yeah, and, I, I you know, I, I'm sure somebody's put together a, a nice four or five hour YouTube essay detailing, like, why the cycle began and all that stuff, mm-hmm. but uh, for most people playing the game you're going to get i want to say similar to the experience that i got where like you um 
you realize what's happened to yourself as the arisen and like taking the seneschal's place and stuff like that and like you Mm want to break this cycle of like dragons and destruction and all of that too and it's a video game so that choice to kill yourself is pretty easy in my opinion yeah yeah so that's the kind of basic story of (laughs) of dragon's dogma and just the (laughs) wild turns that it takes in the last like two hours of the game is is pretty crazy oh yeah (laughs) um but it, it you know, it's a crazy, it's a wild way to like end the story and it's wild how like it's so backloaded, but it does make this game super memorable for anyone who did finish it. Like you feel like you're, you're doing like the Pepe Silvia thing, like trying to explain like, no, this shit is fucking wild. Like, and I can't explain it to you. I need diagrams and stuff. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's, it's really a, a unique game. Um, yeah, and then uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was gonna move us into the the uh, DLC. So if you got anything else for the main game, just tack it on. No, actually, I was gonna do that. Okay, <laughs> so cool. right on. Um, so this is what I mentioned earlier of like it ties into like ninety percent of the story because the main thing you need to know is that the dragon offers you that choice of like you know. I kill your beloved, you get power, or you try and fight me. Mm -hmm. So the DLC focuses on the first Arisen, who was the first one to make that choice. Okay. Uh, He, when he arrived at the dragon, he was there to fight it. And when he was given the choice, he basically had a mental breakdown. And instead of uh, wishing for like, oh, I want to be powerful or, oh, I'm going to fight you. Like, he just cursed himself and cursed the world. And that became his wish of, okay, so you're cursed and you live in a cursed place now. And that's the dungeon. Okay. And he becomes like this crazy demon and that's his curse. Okay. That's pretty cool. I like that. Yeah. So the way you get to the Island originally is like, you find this, you know, girl in the middle of the night, she takes you there. Uh, That girl when you first meet her says, Oh, I can't remember anything. I just know that someone here needs help. It turns out the person that needs help is the first arisen. That is the final boss. Mm-hmm. That girl is his pawn. Yeah. Gotcha. And his, you know, his whole thing was that her whole thing is that I want someone to release my master from this pain, which is, you know, killing him. Mm-hmm. And so she's been doing this for, untold thousands of years because he was the first one. Mm-hmm. So that's where you get, you know, all the abandoned pawns because all the arisens that came here and died. Uh, there's another arisen here. That's just kind of running around. He's like your random shopkeeper, but that's like where the main plot of the DLC comes in. So that's why I said like, once you fight the dragon, you're more or less, you know, on board with what's going on here. Cool. Yeah, I can, I can definitely see that. And yeah, that's a that's a cool setup for like a little contained DLC story. That's pretty cool. I dig it. Mm-hmm. Right on. Well, um, anything else about yeah, man. anything else about the kind of story or like spoiler stuff before we wrap this up? Um. Oh yeah, the DLC, the Grim Reaper chases you, so that's fun. Oh, that's a uh, yeah. That do you get to fight the Grim Reaper or does it just chase you? Yeah. 
Yeah, you could fight it. You could fight death. Hell yeah. <laughs> and I trust Dragon's Dogma to make that a fun fight. I've never beaten it, just to give you that. Okay. You know, as much as I played the game, I've never killed him. <laughs> okay, well, that, that tells me a lot then, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's like your emerald weapons or whatever. Like, he's the super boss. Okay, so I got to go on YouTube and find a video of someone beating that. Yeah. Cool. Well, this has been a lot of fun, man. Uh, let's wrap this up. Thank you so much for joining. This has been a blast talking about Dragon's Dogma, a game that um, I have a lot of fun thinking about and talking about and laughing when I think about. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And like I said, like, it's real weird that like this game isn't talked about more. So I was glad I got the opportunity to do it myself. Yeah. So thanks again for coming on and um, hit me up if you got another game you want to do another episode about. I'm always looking for guests and uh, this has been a lot of fun. Totally cool so once again check the episode description uh listeners for links to everything that adam's got going on and if you want to support this show the best way to do that is to spread the word but also the classic podcast things of leaving ratings and reviews and subscribing and talking to me on social media if you want to talk about dragon's dogma i will be more than happy to talk about it and my social media pages will have uh, links in the description as well those are at Tales from the Backlog on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. So thank you so much for listening, and I will see you next time.